Welcome to the five things this week in social. We're the Webby award-winning podcast that looks high and low for the top stories in social and narrows them down to just five so that you have something interesting to say to add to the group Teams chat. If you're a marketer, an advertiser, or a creator, then this is the podcast for you. Today on the pod, our friend Daniel Avon is back, and we have a new contributor to the show, a copywriter here at Gray, Kofi Roberts. Hello. Hello, hello. Daniel, let's start with you. Hello, sir. Hey, Joey. What was your favorite thing about attending the Webbies last week? My favorite thing about attending the Webbies last week was... There were two. One was you and I ran into Roxanne Gay's wife, who was a winner in the same category as us. And she was kind of taken aback to be recognized and then to be seen as peers, which was kind of amazing. Debbie Millman from the Design Matters podcast. Listen to it. And there were just some amazing guests that were like shepherded onto the stage and, and, and left immediately. Like Tracy Ellis Ross was there. SZA was there. There were just like some amazing people just was cool to see. Yeah, it was awesome. Hello, Kofi. Hello, hello. So this is your first time on our podcast. So I'm curious, what kind of podcast do you listen to? What kind of podcast? Well, my favorite is definitely WTF by Mark Maron. I just think the way he goes at interviewing people is so interesting. And there's not a lot of people that I want to listen to their like preamble, but his, I never skip. It's great. Awesome. And is this the first podcast you've ever been on? Yeah, yeah. This is, I think I've been on like one other before in college, but I wouldn't call it like a crazy big thing. All right, well, we'll go easy on you. All right, I'm Joey Scarillo, and I also had a great time at the Webbies, and I'm looking forward to listening to Anderson Cooper's podcast, All There Is. So let's get into the five things. First up, Daniel talks about not one, but two big steps for Twitter announcing a new CEO and making their first acquisition under Elon Musk. Secondly, Kofi will introduce us to your new girlfriend, your new AI girlfriend, that is, who you can pay $1 per minute to engage with. Then Daniel tells us about a new study that shows a majority of TikTok videos featuring vaping, and they do so positively. Then Kofi will explain how Pinterest merged pins and idea pins into one. And finally, Daniel lets us in on LinkedIn, adding new topics prompt for creators. All right, let's get right into it. Big first story, big steps for Twitter. Daniel, tell us about it. So I've got two big steps, but not a lot of information about them as yet. There's a lot of stuff to be announced, but let's kind of get into these big moves that Twitter is making. Firstly, Musk has announced his successor as CEO in Linda Yaccarino. Advertising professionals probably know who she is. Consumers probably don't. She is the former top advertising and partnerships executive at NBCU. She's known for a few things, being a champion of brand safety, being a champion of advertiser relationships, and being a tough negotiator. She's positioned, we'll see if, if this pans out, to sway advertisers back to the platform, something that is extremely needed. There were a few figures in some of the articles I read, but one that was sort of the most astounding to me was in Q1 of this year, Twitter's top 10 advertisers went from an estimated 70 million to an estimated 7.6 million. So essentially 90% decrease in spending of the top players from an advertising standpoint on Twitter. So they really need to attract advertisers back to platform. 
So a few things to know about Yaccarino from her time at NBCU. She touted how the organization had premium content, something we've heard from Succession as well, but just sort of these legacy players and the content that they have is sort of their selling point, as well as how advertisers could anticipate that the content they would show up in front of would be brand safe and so forth compared with social platforms. So she was kind of speaking negatively about social platforms at the time for not only their less premium content, but also because there's so much unknown. At Twitter, she's going to have to work really hard to win advertisers' trust back. And as we've seen, Musk become not only a liability, but a deterrent for brands wanting to reach their audience on the platform. That was thing one. Thing two is that similarly this week, Musk has made a move to acquire their first company since he's taken over. This company, I believe it's pronounced Lasky, is a lesser known job startup that operates kind of like a dating app for those in the market for a job. Their mission is to match job seekers with opportunities they want at companies they're interested in. Since the deal has gone through, the Lasky site is down, not to be found, and their LinkedIn page is still up. A lot of the reporting around this seems to call back to Musk's desire to turn Twitter into a super or everything app, this being a potential component thereof, as in it's a job search app, it's a social media app, it's a payments app, and so forth. Why this is interesting is that both of these developments are indicative of what a quote-unquote post-Musk Twitter might look like. Musk is still obviously in the mix as the owner of the company, but the hiring of Yakarino acknowledges an understanding of of how detrimental Musk has been to advertising on the platform. I'm hopeful that this means they'll reinstate a lot of the safety and security measures that we have talked about over the months on this podcast and the protocols that have been taken away. But only time will tell if and what Yakarino is able to implement, is able to get buy-in from Musk to implement, and if she is able to gain back advertisers' trust on the platform. The last key thing is interesting, as again, this indicates possibly that they're trying to compete against the LinkedIn's and Indeed's of the world in some capacity, but it's not effectively clear how this is going to be rolled into the platform. And also, it's kind of telling that they've taken down the site for the time being. Very interesting, very mysterious, too, in a weird way. But going back to the first part of the story, Kofi, I'm curious, you know, I like to ask the big questions here. So with bringing on this new CEO with her background in advertising and hopefully trying to bring advertisers back to Twitter, do we think this is going to change any hearts and minds for consumers on the platform or users of the platform? Or will it still be looked at as Elon's Twitter? I mean, I think as we see her, you know, first weeks and first months into the office, they kind of come to fruition. Like we'll see people's ideas probably change just because I think having such a flagship person from like NBCU is just such a more tethering persona. Like I think a CEO is someone you don't really want to think about, someone you just kind of want to keep the ship running smoothly. And I think Elon Musk has been in a lot of news, whether it's good or bad or just like shocking things. And I think people just don't want to see a CEO be doing those kind of be doing that kind of thing. So I think people will have a better opinion of Twitter, it'll just go back to being the social media site that you love and less of Elon Musk being into the flavor of the memes every week. Like I don't really think she'll be in the memes constantly. 
I think she'll just be a good CEO. I hope so. And I I love your optimism here. I'm very excited. And, you know, we'll see what happens. And we will certainly keep talking about Twitter. I don't think the stories are going to die down anytime soon. All right, Kofi, tell us about this is such an interesting story. Tell us about our new AI girlfriend and how we can pay to engage with her for a dollar a minute. Absolutely. So popular influencer Karen Marjorie, she has 1.8 million followers on Snapchat. Well, she made an AI clone of herself so that she can talk to all of her followers at the same time because there just wouldn't be enough hours in the day to be able to do that as just a normal person. And so she says that she wants to cure loneliness and kind of flip the script on like toxic masculinity, where it's more of an of like access to therapy and to like conversations through her AI bot. So it's called Karen AI. And the chatbot is described on its website as a virtual girlfriend. And it lets the fans have private one-on-one conversations where, yeah, they pay a dollar a minute. And in the first week or so, it made $71,610. And that was just in the beta. So clearly, it's a, it's a successful thing. People want to talk to it. And the company that helped create it was Forever Voices. And they used GPT-4 software. And they also used her like YouTube videos to basically take it and put it into this like 2000 hours of like programming to kind of make this real world person that you can actually talk to and not just feel like you're talking to a bot, obviously, which is probably why it's been so successful. However, it has had some backlash. Arena Raikou, who is the director of internet ethics at the Marcula Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University, has said that the launch seems premature just because uh, there are problems that should have been addressed that haven't been. So like the idea with this AI girlfriend was not to kind of have it be this like sexualized thing. It was supposed to be more of just like a conversation, someone that you could talk to. And people have been getting around that, abusing it. So, you know, we are having this thing where we're seeing interesting spaces where AI is playing. However, it's kind of like, where are the ethics going to come into play? And how are we going to make sure it's used for the purposes that it's being intended to be used for? And yeah, so that is kind of a little update on our AI girlfriend. You know, with any tool, there is always, you know, there's always people who will use it the way it's intended and people who won't. And so, you know, it's always interesting to see where these things lead. But I'm just, I don't know, I'm a little skeptical. Daniel, is this the future or is this just a toy for right now? I think it has colorings of the future. Futuristic video games to go to a weird place will have a lot of AI-like beings that you interact with, help you do functions, help you think through things. So I think that that sort of utility use case, we will see more of. And we've seen a lot of the social and search apps kind of engage in this way of, of, of assistant. It does give me a little bit of pause in terms of relationships, people's mental health and emotional well-being, ability to interrelate with other people in real life. There could be a potential utility if used right to get people on a path to being more confident in themselves and so forth. But if this type of things becomes a dependency, that is super scary to me. So all to say that I think it is a sign of some things to come, but I hope that in addition to the safeguards that Kofi was mentioning related to its use for the intention and not to be sexualized and so forth, that there are some controls or thoughts put forth in terms of the psychological health of the user and what it could mean for their future health. Also, a dollar a minute. Man. All right. It is steep. It's steep. All right, Daniel, let's talk about another trend. This new study that shows that a majority of TikTok videos that feature vaping are doing it in a positive light. Is vaping cool? Let's get into it. I just want to start off by saying 
I personally do not think that vaping is cool. However, a group of Australian researchers have conducted a study of about 250 videos on TikTok in which 98% of them showed e-cigarettes or vaping as positive, and some of them even promoted it. TikTok's T's and C's say that you're not allowed to promote vaping in addition to other substances. But the researchers found that this rule was often violated and suggest that the platform's policies and the way that they are monitored leaves a lot to be desired and it's not really pairing up in the way that it should. There was some interesting reference to a vaping community within some of the posts and some of the influencers, I'll call them, provided tips and tricks of how to smoke. And those were underscored with music and humor. So it's kind of lighthearted, showing up cool, all of these types of things. This is scary to me because the videos that they reviewed were not seemingly from brands or lobbies, though there were some links to retailers and offer promotions and all that type of things. But these videos mostly came from peers, people around the same age as those they're trying to convince to vape. This is obviously very different but reminiscent of how the tobacco lobby popularized smoking back in the day through ads and trendy magazines, placement in TV and movies, and aiming to really show up in places and spaces that the youth deemed as cool. The cool thread still holds with this vaping dynamic, but because the media landscape has fractured, the vectors of influence have also fractured and have become more niche and harder to identify as like a singular force. The strategy is clearly working and I'm a data person, so apologies to use anecdotal research, but anytime that you see younger folks, teenagers walking around the city, invariably one of them is vaping. So this seems to be pretty successful and it's a concern among parents and among health authorities in this country. We've seen some shifts happening at TikTok. You know, they're vying to make advertisers feel like it's a brand safe environment and still are at least superficially losing battles. Um, as we we're preparing stories for this podcast, the Montana legislature has actually moved to ban TikTok for many reasons not related to this, but all to say that there's a lot of things in flux with the platform in terms of brand safety, security, and just confidence of people in power and American people. I hope that this study encourages them to take more seriously the terms and conditions that they've set forth, enforcing them, improving them, and just making it a safer place for teenagers, for users of the platform, and to hopefully kind of turn the tide on what is happening with vaping among teenagers and youth. You know, I know vaping is not new and but I remember growing up at a time when smoking was not cool, where it was like it was like pushed in our faces and actually seeing the cultural shift happen from cigarettes being cool to not being cool, more mainstream to this anti-tobacco push. What do you think it's going to take to get Gen Z to move towards an anti-vaping culture from where they are now? Hmm. Okay, so I'm 25. So I feel like I have an interesting perspective on this because I grew up when, yeah, cigarettes were not cool. But then, like, invariably, they kind of snuck their way into pop culture again. But, like, it still wasn't great, but it was, like, at, like, a party or something. Maybe you'd, like, socially have a cigarette or something. And then vapes came on the scene. And it was, like, suddenly you could vape inside. You could, you know, it just made all the barriers to smoking, of smelling like smoke and all that kind of go away. And you had all the flavors that were, you know, creme brulee and things that you're like, why is this tasting so good? And then I think people in like my age range were like, all right, let's get off this because we remember when we didn't have it and we know what it feels like 
to not be vaping and it feels much better than to be vaping. But I think kind of that younger generation, again, anecdotally, I've seen people who have like bags and bags of like empty pods, which is like what you put into them when they're like not disposable. And like they display it kind of proudly, like look at all. So I think it'll take probably another one of those scary campaigns that show like the real like effects of it, the lung capacity that decreases after so much vaping and probably some like popular celebrities to get on the board because it's just, I think when you're young and really, really young, you just see life as like forever. So you're not really thinking about what vaping is going to do to you in even five years or something, or even, I don't know, like a year. So I think it'll just take probably a bit of tough love and learning of like their peers happening and celebrities hopping on and, you know, some really effective campaign, I think, <laughs> that tells people vaping's not so great. Yeah, I mean, you you touched on it, right? But it's almost like teenagers, 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, it's like they want to rebel. Yeah. It's like they want to go against the mainstream. Yeah, weird. Some things, I guess, are universal, but vaping is not cool. Don't smoke, kids. All right, that's your message from the Five Things podcast today. All right, let's go into Pinterest. Kofi, tell us about what's going on over at Pinterest. They're pins and idea pins. Okay, yeah. So this seems like a pretty big swing from Pinterest and uh, kind of excited to see it. So Pinterest is merging their pins and idea pins into a single format. So it'll basically streamline its tools into one creation flow. And that's basically meaning that you can see the video pins and static images along with other editing features, all into one thing. And you'll also be able to put music over top of it. And just generally, it's creating more of a content creator tool, it seems, for people to use on the platform. So Pinterest also announced that users will be able to start accessing a handful of community engagement features. So users will now be able to add keywords that, that like they don't want to see in their comments. They can make a filter under social permissions in order to hide certain comments. So it just seems like, again, Pinterest is giving the individual user a lot more control over like the content that they're putting out. And I think how they want to be perceived when people engage with their content. So Pinterest brought these idea pins to life in 2021. And that's when it seemed that the company was trying to make this big swing, this big push from being an online image board and as someone who works in advertising, we know it very, very well to more of this content creator platform. And basically, it seems like maybe Pinterest wants to get a little bit of that TikTok engagement where they're pivoting the video and they're pivoting to actual content creation because I think these social media platforms are seeing how lucrative it can be to really be able to foster a platform where people can engage and build a community. There's also going to be a new pen scheduling API, and this will basically allow creators who like schedule tweets and Instagram posts and things to also be able to do that with Pinterest. So again, this is really just putting a pin in the idea that Pinterest is like, that we are going to be the next big social media platform to really allow content creation at a big scale. And we really want to pivot over there. And we want to bring people into that. And we want to become kind of reinvent themselves, it feels. Because again, Pinterest synonymous with mood board. And now they're like, let's do something new. And that's always pretty exciting, pretty cool. Change is scary for a brand. And but I mean, it's always exciting when they're actually ready to really do something different. Yeah, I mean, I think this could be this could be cool. I mean, we like to see Pinterest. We love Pinterest on this show. We talk about it all the time. And yeah, I think pushing pushing the pins in a new direction can't be a bad thing. Daniel, what's your big takeaway from this? I mean, who do you think will benefit most from a new platform update like this? Hopefully Pinterest and the users to an extent. I remember when I was in advertising maybe five or six years ago, they used to tell us users can only post static 
advertisers can post video and therefore advertising on the platform stands out. This is to what Kofi was saying, like a move in the direction that video is the future. You see all of the platforms across the board making this move. Pinterest is seeming to make this move really wholeheartedly and pushing past the wallpaper of it all to having more time spent on platform, ideally. So that would mean more ad revenue potential and possibly some more advertising features, pre-roll, post-roll, all of those types of things that they might be able to roll out with this type of an improvement. So time will tell, but I think from a Pinterest standpoint, this kind of opens up a lot of opportunity for them that in the board of it all and in the, the search search term advertising that they have had in the past, this opens up a lot more options for them. Yeah, I think this will be really cool. All right, let's jump over to one of our other favorite apps on the show, LinkedIn. And Daniel's going to tell us about how they added a new topics prompt for creators. Yeah, so in the same vein of reinventing or evolving themselves, LinkedIn has continued its efforts to introduce AI into the platform experience. And now there are topic prompts. This new feature is part of a bigger effort to improve and centralize analytics and tools for creators in a form of a hub-like experience in which creators can see how their content has performed over time, what content is associated with their profile and other elements such as LinkedIn Live, newsletters, and CTA links. Select users have been given access to this and the hub has been making amendments, augmentations, and so forth since February. Back to the topic prompts within the conversations happening now tab, which is informed based on conversations that are going on, what creators have posted in the past and what their audience might be interested in. It prompts creators on what to post and the types of topics that they could consider. So now some users can figure out what to post with AI, draft a post with AI, and likely much more to come with AI. Not only is this Microsoft introducing AI into more of its apps and services, we've talked about what they're doing with Bing and kind of rolling it out across the board with the chat GPT of it all. But this is also part of an initiative to get LinkedIn users to post more and likely increase time spent on platforms and something that we just mentioned with Pinterest. It's a race for attention because more attention means more time means more potential ad revenue, reach, and all of the good things that come with that. This is still being tested, and we don't have any hard data on how it's impacting usage, how many people are using it, and all of that type of stuff. But it's another indication of LinkedIn and Microsoft's long game with AI and a continued aim for LinkedIn to compete for attention and act as a more traditional social media platform, therefore trying to buy for more ad dollars. Really interesting stuff going on over at LinkedIn. Kofi, just curious, from your point of view, does this sound exciting? Do you think this is something you would engage in? Yeah, I mean, well, it seems, first, there's like a trend here, right? Like all of these social media platforms are like, how do we become more of a social media platform? Like, whereas I think before they were all happy and content to kind of stay in their lanes. And now they're like, there are no lanes. We are taking everyone's lunch money, so to speak, I guess. But is it something I'd engage with? I think when I was like looking into this, it felt like, I don't know if we're all familiar with like LinkedIn influencers, right? Like people who just kind of post on LinkedIn to farm engagement, like there have been memes about it now where it's like someone will tell a story of like, you know, I don't know, some crazy out there story. And it's like just to farm for likes and engagement. And it seems like this AI, these like chats, these like prompts will be a great opportunity for those people to further do that. But 
I don't think it's something that necessarily I would take part in. And it's something that I think even like the article it was saying is like, if people just let the AI run wild and don't, you know, like kind of edit it down and give it some direction, you know, linked influencers, I think, exist on like a spectrum where there are like genuine ones and they're less genuine ones. And I think if they just let the AI run wild and write its own kind of prompt, then you're going to get a lot of this less genuine stuff. And you're just going to get on your LinkedIn feed and be like, what am I reading? What is this? I don't want to be here. So I think it's a really big push for LinkedIn to make sure that these prompts are going to be quality because people aren't just going to read like the if and such as and what, you know, the things that AI kind of just makes it to seem smart, but really there's, there's not a lot of substance in there. So I think it'll be a big push to get people to actually make sure they're kind of letting it, I guess, skeleton the prompt or post and then giving it their own flavor. But I don't think personally that would be a thing I would necessarily engage in. It's almost like the more we engage, the better it could be. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for us today. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to discuss. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank our panel today, Daniel and Kofi. Kofi, come back again. Let's make it a thing. And as always, I want to thank Samantha Geller and Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes for making us sound great. On the next episode of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, we welcome Dr. Zach Thomas, the YouTube creator behind the channel Foot Dr. Zach, a channel dedicated to the latest performance in shoe technology. Zach, who is a real foot doctor, has been dissecting sneakers to match the best athletes with the best shoes for their feet. You'll hear Zach's story of how he decided to study feet, the advice he received when building a business, and how he reached over 100,000 subscribers. A huge feat for any creator on the platform. Check out Zach's story or any of our past episodes of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, anywhere you find this podcast. That does it for us. Thank you, listeners. And please, as always, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller, mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin, with post-production support from Ned Martin, additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.